Welcome to the TALON project. TALON stands for Teaching and Learning Online Network. As we adjust to the new COVID-19 reality, TALON provides a platform for sharing and discussing resources and practices for remote education. You can learn more at taloncloud.ca. Enjoy this episode. Hi, my name is Martina McFarlane. I'm a Master of Planning student at the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape and a graduate assistant researcher with the Talon Project. So I have with me today, Barbara Brown, Michelle Jacobson, Christy Harrell, Verena Roberts, and I hope I've said everyone's name correctly, uh, co-authors of the book, Ethical Use of Technology in Digital Learning Environments. So I'll get them all to introduce themselves in just a moment, but we have a little icebreaker question. Um, so if you could be any letter in the alphabet, which would you be? When I was thinking about that question, the letter that came to mind was a T, uh, a T for teacher, because really at heart, although I've been a researcher for a long time, um, at heart, I'm a teacher. For me, I would choose O for open, <laughs> because that's what this uh, project is all about. And uh, as a librarian, I'm really interested in opening up access to knowledge. And I would pick C for collaboration. This project was really a collaborative effort and um, required you know, co-creation and collaboration among so many, including the team that's here today. So C is my letter for today. Um, I think I reveal my ego and say V because um, it uh, represents my digital identity and who I am and I'm proud of this project and this project is also something that represents my digital uh, identity and reputation and can share and build knowledge with others. Wonderful, thank you. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about the project in depth for sure, but maybe you could go around and just introduce each of yourselves briefly. I'm happy to start. Uh, my name is Michelle Jacobson. I've been uh, a professor at the University of Calgary for 21 years. Um, I've got um, you know, students in a lot of different countries in the world as a graduate supervisor. And my primary focus in, in my research is on learning and teaching in uh, technology-enabled environments. So this project is beautifully aligned with many um, of my research interests and strengths. Okay, well, I can go next. Um, so I'm, I'm Barb Brown. I'm currently the Associate Dean of Teaching and Learning in the Workland School of Education. And uh, my research interests are also in the area of um, technology, um, leadership, professional learning. And um, Michelle Jacobson was my supervisor when I went through and uh, did my doctoral work. And I continue to, to be interested in technology-enabled environments. Um, I'll go next for a specific reason that we'll figure out in a second, but my name is Verena Roberts and I was the instructor uh, for this course called, well, we call it EdTech Ethics, which is its hashtag, but it's Eater 679 um, as one of the four classes in the interdisciplinary leading in a digital age, leading and learning in a digital age program. Um, I'm an adjunct assistant professor with the University of Calgary Workland School of Education, really excited about that, just started and I teach in the graduate and undergrad 
graduate program. I'm also a current online high school teacher with uh, a local school district. Um, I'm also an educational assist, uh, an educational, um, well, I can't exactly, a research uh, specialist with uh, Callisto projects. So a data science and integrating data science in open educational resources and in K-12. And um, I'm also good to start soon as a instructional designer with Thompson Rivers University um, in a focus area of open educational resources and their ZCred project. Um, this project was really important because my supervisor for my doctoral program was Michelle Jacobson and Barbara Brown was on my supervisory committee. So it's, you can kind of see how things are being passed along. And Christy worked with me um, <laughs> when I was uh, in my doctoral program. I learned with her. Yeah, so I'm Christy Hurl. I'm a librarian, um, usually based at the Taylor Family Digital Library. And within my portfolio are um, things including uh, open access, uh, open scholarship, and now open educational resources. So I was approached by Verena when she had this idea to create an OER as part of her class and uh, have been happily collaborating with this group ever since. Perfect. So maybe you can just tell us a little bit more about the project. Tell me about your work. So maybe I'll start. Um, so I, I coordinate the four course topic and the Master of Education interdisciplinary program called Leading and Learning in a Digital Age. And as part of my work as the coordinator, um, I work with the instructors who teach all four of the courses in the program and try to make sure that there's continuity and that um, each of the courses build on each other and, you know, and provide um, a learning experience for the graduate students that come from different educational contexts, provide a learning experience that's really meaningful for them. And Verena was the um, instructor of the third of the four courses and came up with this idea about creating an open educational resource as part of her um, coursework. And so I worked with her to support her in this idea and to, um, you know, help the, the students in developing chapters that could be part of an open educational resource and also looked at ways that we could uh, make sure that the two courses that led up to Verena's course would provide the, um, the supports for students to be able to create a chapter during this third course. And then also the fourth and final course, which I taught, um, then I worked with the students as kind of a culmination to the program and continued to support the work as they, they finalized their chapters and, and brought the book to, to completion. So maybe I'll pass it over to Verena. It might, um, might be helpful to hear more about kind of what happened during the course. Um, so when I had the opportunity to teach the course, I wanted to consider my dissertation work, which really focused on open educational practices. And within the dissertation work, I came up with some principles and some findings that really helped me shape the future for open learning design in higher ed and in, in in K-12. And in some discussions, it, it was very clear that we had to some, develop some awareness around open learning and what open learning really was. So I'm trying to fight my sunbeam. Um, and so one of the ideas was if we collaboratively created 
an open press book. What would that look like for graduate students? What would the opportunities be for the graduate students? What would that look like? Meaning like, what was the process? Like, how would we do that within a course? Um, who are some of the partners that we would need? And you can see there's already four people today and there's actually six, eight, like there are many, many, many people on this team. So uh, it became quite apparent that this isn't something that you necessarily do by yourself. <laughs> we'll just start with that right away. Um, is there any research that could be involved in considering because my original research was in a K-12 learning environment, could we apply this in a, in a higher ed context? And so the whole goal was really how do we how do we create uh, an open press uh, open press book collaboratively, but really what I was looking at is how does how do open educational resources and open educational practices balance each other, and and how does that guide open um, open learning and open learning design for the future, and so that's what I was really curious about, um, and I did this through well, a lot of work with a lot of collaboration of a lot of people and a lot of students in my class. My role and interest in the work um, was more from a research perspective. And um, of course, taking a look at the design elements and the how um, this worked, how learning was supported, how co-design was enacted. Um, but I also wanted to look at the, an evaluation, a cyclical evaluation. Um, of the learning that could be supported in this kind of a context. So um, when Barb and Verena uh, approached me about the idea for the grant proposal, I said, yeah, of course, count me in. Um, and, um, you know, so helped with the development of the, the proposal on participatory pedagogical practices in graduate education, which build on some of the other uh, work build on uh, Verena's doctoral research, of course, but also built and extends upon research that Barb and I have been involved in, taking a look at our program designs in graduate education over many years, um, and really diving deep into this particular experience that we could um, put together for students. So my, my interest, of course, was as uh, an educator, but primarily as a researcher, and what could we learn about the development of an open resource with graduate students that would be helpful to other colleagues uh, across campus and helpful for, you know, perhaps even spreading this practice so that other graduate students in our own school, of course, in education, but in other graduate programs on campus could have this kind of experience of creating um, knowledge that's shared in community, that's peer reviewed in community, and it, it actually contributes to the knowledge base. Yeah, and uh, my interests um, kind of build on what Michelle had to say. So primarily for me, this was um, a really valuable experience from a practical standpoint, because at University of Calgary, we're just starting to get involved with creating open educational resources using press books. And from the library's perspective, it's great to have sort of a, a case study to work through that process with and understand better how it works. But my own research interests are really focused around um, scholarly communication. So how um, individuals involved in scholarship begin to share their work with others. And I'm really interested in how graduate students move past being sort of just consumers of, of research to um, producers of research and that transition, what they learn, what enables them, what holds them back. Um, and so I think the, the research interests that I have are exemplified in, in this project as well. 
Wonderful. So obviously, um, you know, the project has its basis in digital components and digital learning already, uh, but I'm sure you've seen many changes over the last year to how things are functioning and com coming together. And um, so how has this project and your work been affected with the pandemic conditions and protocols? Well, maybe I'll jump on that one because we've just started the second iteration of the course right now. And the one of the biggest changes um, was having the months and months and months in which to research and work with this group during a pandemic and watching the changes happen gave me the opportunity to make changes to the design to be more supportive in terms of wellness and balance for the students and really prepare them in terms of scaffolding and resources and, and things that they would need um, to better feel prepared and calm, taking on something that's really different, taking on a design or, or being in, included in a design in a process that's really different. Um, the other thing that I've already noticed is because they feel safer and because they almost feel like I'm asking them to come and ask me questions right away, knowing that they're going to possibly run into difficulties due to whatever happens with the pandemic that we're seeing on a daily basis, um, their topics are very different than maybe what we would have expected a year ago. So um, what will be interesting when uh, your viewers or listeners or readers uh, listen to this, um, are the topics that you can actually see it as almost like a time capsule of what was really important a year ago in terms of educational technology and what's really important a year a year after um, in terms of educational technology and that's incredibly valuable and and it comes from the students which is really uh, unique. Yeah, I think the pandemic um also helped us extend our timeline in a way. Um, we had anticipated that we would, you know, complete more of our data collection earlier on. And then due to the pandemic in the spring um, and our, you know, quick transition to fully online for everyone, um, we ended up extending our timeline, which I think was actually benefited our project because we ended up interviewing um, the students that were part of the program at the end of their program rather than uh, right after they had completed the course. We also extended our timeline in terms of the writing component and, and that part of it we were unsure if the students would continue to be engaged with their chapters and continue to want to work with us and make the edits and revisions, but we were pleasantly surprised at the high level of engagement, even though the students had finished their program in June and were still communicating with us and going back and forth in December um, to complete the book so that we could publish by January. So it was really, really a pleasure to see um, that level of engagement. And I really appreciate Verena and Barb going first because, um, you know, from a research perspective, I would suggest um, that we didn't really miss a beat um, in our collaboration as a team um, because our collaboration started in a fully online um, collaboration and our relationships and, and, you know, we mediate that quite seamlessly online. So, you know, we meet, we discuss, we have two graduate research assistants who've also been involved in various um, tasks and stages um, and components of the project. Um, so this team has never really met in a room at the same time. We've always met online. So, you know, that in some ways was seamless, but it, it is important, you know, to acknowledge the extended timelines, the 
greater need to be aware of, you know, the other things going on in, in people's lives, their, you know, their home lives, their career lives, et cetera. Um, and we've been very mindful of that as a team, um, you know, and being generous with our own timelines and the pressure we put on ourselves. Um, but I think it's important to celebrate, you know, we've done conference presentations together, we're working on papers together about the research findings. Um, as we enter this, or as we're in now, the next cycle with Farina teaching the course again and uh, working with a new group of graduate students. So a lot of this was, uh, you know, facilitated very um, seamlessly. And, and I don't want to say effortlessly, because it always takes a lot of effort, but and intentionality, but you know, it's been quite seamless as an online collaboration. Yeah, I don't really have much to add except to echo what Michelle said. I think it has seemed quite seamless from my end, but at the same time, um, I have really appreciated the team's um, intentionality around, you know, the pressures that folks are, are facing, particularly because a lot of the students in the course are, um, you know, teaching in schools in Alberta or elsewhere around the world. So they're, in, you know, facing incredible pressures as well. So it's been a, it's been an interesting project from that point of view, for sure. It's always nice to hear that um, groups like this or projects like this are seeing, you know, an incredible amount of engagement, an incredible amount of, um, you know, work being put in and effort when that's, that's one of the hugest challenges, I think, that we hear about often. Um, with this online platform is just, you know, maintaining that engagement. Um, so, it, I mean, it sounds like you've obviously come from a place of intentionality, like you say, really setting things up even before the pandemic as well. So um, it's obviously paying off. That's really good to hear. So are there specific questions or new topics that are kind of emerging from uh, in your research and practice during the COVID pandemic? Um, I think the the one that I alluded to before that the idea of um, wellness and wellness was definitely a topic that was well spoken about before the pandemic, I wouldn't say it wasn't, but the difference is the authentic and meaningful connections that it's made with everybody and their and their every person in their lives globally, not just Brina and her little research world. Um, and equity and how that plays into wellness. Um, and I would also say that COVID has successfully amplified many of the things that weren't going well um, to start with. And, and that has helped a lot of the students and researchers really think about questions that they're really curious about, to think that it's okay to ask those questions. And so while a year ago, it might've been a hot topic or contentious topic or something that we wouldn't talk about now, it, because a lot of these horrible things have been amplified we'll just say horrible experiences they're transitioning them into how what can we do to improve upon this um, which is really exciting and that's what you want in any kind of educational or research setting so i'd say that some of this so there's already i'm seeing that as some of some some of the successes and they are much more willing to meet with me online funny how that works <laughs> they're like yes i know what zoom is i'll meet with you I think from an instructional perspective, I've noticed, um, you know, an increase in demand around open educational resources. 
um, you know, I think we're, we're, we're definitely noting how many of our students, particularly in um, international locations, are having difficulty in uh, perhaps receiving shipments of um, texts that they've placed on order or may not be able to access um, the resources that we're providing. And so I've really noticed um, an increase in intentionality around the use of, of open educational resources and just how it's highlighted the importance of, of our project in also making um, graduate student research and writing accessible, um, openly accessible. I think, um, you know, a, a difference this term, um, different questions I'll have are, you know, are the students able to have a bit of a head start because they've got some exemplars uh, to learn from? Um, so, you know, this, this uh, amazing accomplishment by all of these graduate students will serve as an enduring resource and um, example of what can be done. Um, you know, philosophically as an educator and as a um, as a researcher though, I'm also hoping it'll continue to um, put to question the notions of uh, what kinds of research that uh, students in a professional program are capable of, um, because certainly their research stands aside, you know, stands alongside in quality um, with other, you know, with other scholarship that emerges out of um, other kinds of graduate programs. So, um, I'm excited to see the high quality exemplar that the, this year's students will get to build from so locally with this particular project, but then also more broadly, being able to take a look at, you know, this is what scholarship, uh, high quality scholarship looks like um, in an educational uh, graduate program. So I'm excited to see where that can go um, in my own teaching. Um, all of the resources in my course, except for one are open or while well, they're online uh, educational resources, some available through our library, through the digital access, um, but others are through online journals. So in my own practice, I've moved almost entirely to things that students anywhere in the world can access easily um, as a part of their learning journey versus asking them to buy physical resources. Yeah, certainly um, from a library perspective, we've heard that um, from students in every program, in every discipline, that the pandemic has exacerbated, you know, already existing inequities and difficulties in accessing learning resources. Um, so it's definitely um, reinforced my, you know, my drive to keep working towards the creation and su supporting of open resources. Um, on the on the other side, this project has been has also reinforced my assumptions about how much work it is to create these types of high quality resources as well. So it's it's two sides of a coin. Um, the it's worth it, but it's not without um, the requirement of resources and energy and time for sure. Yeah. So it sounds like obviously. Like everyone in this, there's a number of challenges. It's sort of uncovering all these extra things that always existed, but are exacerbated, like you say. Um, but it also sounds like you're seeing progress and some positive things from this. So I guess following along with that, um, what do you wish would happen in the future of your area for open education? So um, I think in Alberta, we have made some 
great strides provincially in terms of developing infrastructure to support uh, the creation of open educational resources. Um, so we have a group now called Open Education Alberta, which is a coalition of um, educators and librarians from across the province. Um, many post-secondary institutions are represented that are sort of working to develop infrastructure and workflows and supportive systems for um, supporting open education. But it's still a very grassroots initiative and it's a little bit patchwork depending on what institution you're coming from and the resources available at your own institution. So one thing I would like to see in the future from an infrastructure perspective is um, a more coordinated approach to supporting open education across our province. Um, and that would help us move along farther like other provinces in Canada, like um, BC in particular and, and Ontario as well, who have made a lot more progress in this area. Building upon what Christy said, it is a lot of work. There's a lot of um, activity that goes on behind the scenes to produce an ebook of this type or a press book of this type. Um, so I'm not going to suggest that this is going to be possible nor necessary in every course that students engage in during their program. Um, but I do think it should be an opportunity available to every graduate student. So no matter what program they're in, some way to be involved in a collaborative project in their discipline that results in shareable, peer-reviewed you know, knowledge, um, new ideas, original you know, strategies, whatever is appropriate. And you know, um, we talk about contextually dependent. Um, whatever is appropriate to that discipline or to that group um, of students moving through the graduate program, I think they should each have at least one experience um, engaging in that as a graduate student, uh, because I do believe that it's, um, you know, very much a, uh, a skill that travels, um, but it's also important knowledge uh, to have about how we do engage in knowledge building and community. Um, a lot of people still understand learning as something that um, is a content transaction. You know, the teacher tells you about some content and you remember that content and therefore you've learned. Um, our group is more committed to a knowledge building approach versus a knowledge borrowing approach. So um, I think that all graduate students in their own research project are involved in that kind of knowledge building or knowledge creation. But I think it could also be um, seamlessly woven into at least one of their uh, scheduled credit bearing experiences during their program um, so that they're engaged in that in more than one way in their graduate program. So I think it would be amazing. And if, if you know, if you think about the function of universities, you know, primarily a teaching function, but then also that research function and sharing uh, new insights and ideas with the world. Um, it would help us with one of our major functions, actually with both, with both teaching and research, so. Yeah, no, I agree, Michelle. I, um, you made me think about uh, when we do a curriculum review and, you know, when we're mapping what's happening in the different courses to make sure that, you know, we, we wouldn't want to see this activity being something that would occur in every single course. Um, students will not want to contribute a chapter in every course that they're in, but we could look at um, strategically where does it make sense 
for this type of learning activity to be embedded in a program. One of the things that the students noted is how um, they felt that their, their writing was better. They invested more in this project because it was an authentically designed learning activity that they knew um, would be shared out to, um, to a real audience and not just remain as part of the coursework. So, so where is it that we could you know, provide an opportunity for all students to, to have this type of um, co-creation experience and, um, and engage in knowledge engagement in this type of way. So it would be really interesting to, to look at that as part of our graduate competencies and where does it fit best in our programs. Um, I, I echo everything that everyone said. So I just wanted to hear what they had to say too, because it's interesting that it, it, it kind of stemmed from an idea of a love to share what we can do with the potential of open educational resources. Um, but I think for the future, I still look for building on learning ecosystems in particular. And what I mean by that, are there's some students from last year, I think Barb alluded to this well, they continue to be engaged and participate in my, which is, I don't have the experience as a sessional to talk about, is this a normal thing to have your students continue to be engaged in the courses? But this year, for example, the students are coming in to give feedback to the students and they're gonna guide them through the process. And they're doing this out of the goodness of their hearts. They're not getting a grade for it. It's not connected to their project in any way, um, their final projects. But I, I want them to know that I deeply appreciate it because it isn't something that you can do by yourself. And, and I never did do it by myself from the beginning, but the more people involved, the easier it, it becomes. And I agree, I, I don't want, I couldn't imagine everyone doing an open press book for every course, that, that would be overwhelming. Um, but thinking about how we can support Wikipedia or how we could um, think about other open educational activities and assignments to really uh, contribute to sustainable learning ecosystems and the future of learning and to build upon knowledge for each other. Um, it does sound, especially when I think about the world right now, very like commons based and <laughs> very collective based. Um, but I, I think I can speak on behalf of the students that they deeply appreciate not just the experience, but the community and the future and the network that they're developing as a result of participating in this kind of learning opportunity. So I, I hope that they would like to see that more. And I know that the research assistants in our group have really benefited from this kind of experience in terms of their own professional opportunities and fellowships and opportunities out, that have expanded upon Workland and the University of Calgary. So that's kind of exciting that we know that they're going out into the world um, after being part of our, our research experience and our learning experience. And maybe just to finish this, this loop, our graduate students and our undergraduate students do have opportunities to publish and those are highly valued as well. So for example, in Workland, um, you know, back in 99, I started a student, a peer reviewed journal of student work and it was student run, student peer reviewed and it operated for 10 years. Um, shortly after that, our graduate students started a journal um, and that is a, a way, and these are both open access. Um, but this is a course-based collaborative experience, a co-design experience. So it is unique, but it does add um, to the, 
the buffet, so to speak, of experiences that, um, that students can have during a program that go beyond the individual, that do, you know, um, uh, engage them in that kind of community knowledge building uh, that I think is so highly, um, it's highly visible, but it's also very important um, as a part of their development in a digital society. Um, you know, when we think about how do we trust the knowledge that's available online? How is knowledge created? Uh, who decides what gets published, what doesn't? But it's also aspects of voice and agency um, that um, students learn about through a project like this. So, you know, I think it fits in beautifully with the suite of, of opportunities that can be made available to students. And when we look at student experience, one of the things that, um, you know, that I notice is that when students are talking about or reflecting on their experience in, in being in post-secondary, they will often refer to, you know, the, the content and the, you know, the discipline, the, the program that they were in and, and what they learned, but they also refer to the connections and the community that they were part of and, and how it made them feel. And so, you know, one of the curiosities I have is how does this type of learning experience that clearly, you know, went on beyond the course and the program, how does that impact, um, you know, the student's perception of their experience when they're at the University of Calgary? It's interesting thinking about this structure as, you know, as a graduate student myself, and I've been so lucky to have at least one term in my program that was in person so that I could meet my peers and work with my peers and, you know, get to know this group. Um, and I think especially during this time of isolation, like having this learning ecosystem, like you say, um, that goes beyond just that course and creates this body of knowledge and, and uh, this community is, is a huge accomplishment and sounds like a fantastic approach to education, absolutely. So I guess thinking about uh, technology, ethics and education, um, what would you say are key themes or topics to consider specifically for teaching? I feel like we've probably gone over a number of these things already in our discussion, but uh, if there's anything that really sticks out to you, uh, jump in. I'm thinking Rena might want to respond to this one. I, you know, I, her observation of just how the topics are changing this year, I think it, again is really interesting. And to me, I, um, you know, if if we continue with this project for um, next year as well, it'll be really interesting to look at how the topics do change over time. The topics that are in the existing ebook are representative of topics that were of interest pre-COVID. Um, you know, the topics that Verena is looking at this year with her students are, are topics that, you know, they're selecting, uh, being right in the middle of it. And, and I think something else to consider is that our students um, are not just in the K to 12 education area, that we do have uh, a real mix of individuals that are in other workplace contexts. Um, you know, some are in post-secondary settings, some are in other settings um, where they're, they're interested in educational contexts, but at different levels. And so it's really interesting to see the different topics that they bring forward. So Verena, I don't know if you want to comment a little bit about the topics that you're seeing this year. Well, I, I was going to mention that um, the diversity because I've taught in other institutions where most of the graduate students are K-12 teachers, like 
in fact, most all of them are. In this group, there is diversity. And one of the notes that came up as a result of the research was not all of them felt that they could really contribute necessarily to ed tech ethics or the idea of educational technology and ethics. And it wasn't an instant connection. This year, no problem. <laughs> Every single student came in regardless of their professional expertise, which are very diverse. And um, we have some in healthcare actually this time as well. And there, there isn't the same um, a confusion around how it connects to educational technology. There is some confusion on how it connects to ethics, but they very quickly jumped in and could start to see it much quicker, I think, than last year, probably because they're living, breathing it. Um, but some of the big topics that were, I think, explored, I would say, or that we developed awareness around last year, um, some like uh, examples like uh, academic integrity and um, uh, like turn it in or the ideas of plagiarism in online um, digital tools was explored. This year, it's like, should we? have online assessment and online proctor, like very direct. Um, should video cameras be on during Zoom sessions? Like we're like right to the jugular right away. But then um, should schools be responsible for sharing digital devices or for giving out digital devices and um, remixing, remixing content? Should teachers K-12 teachers be responsible to teach about Creative Commons. <laughs> Before we start the course, they're already asking those questions. So they've experienced it, I think, in the last year where they've run into problems with um, content that they might not have been aware of um, in terms of the plagiarism risks and concerns that they should think about. Um, also, should social media be integrated into the course? What we didn't really talk about was part of the learning design for this course wasn't just developing the open educational resource. It was developing uh, and, and supporting open readiness for students. And we do that through participatory learning and, and specifically uh, using Twitter um, as a hashtag and encouraging the students to slowly but surely share with each other. Um, they've come into this one already blogging. <laughs> Their digital skills and digital literacies are improved, or not improved. Uh, they just have a diverse experience. Like they're, they're, when I were talk about like their abilities or skills, they all made their blogs overnight. Last year took us a little bit longer, we'll just say, you know, just little things like that. And it's like they expect me to ask them to do things so quickly. And I, I, I'm, I'm gonna talk to them a little bit more about, you shouldn't think that you have to be able to do this. Like take the time to do this and learn about different ways to do it and ways to do it well for you, which we haven't had during the pandemic. It's been very immediate and responsive and reactive. So I can see that they have those habits um, already, which is really just things that have changed in, in one year. Um, but they definitely know what is going on and the data and privacy questions will be interesting. So we'll see where that takes us. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. I can't wait to uh, read the chapters this term. <laughs> I was gonna say too that um, it's, it's kind of a meta project in this way because while the students are doing research and writing chapters about 
technology and ethics and education, they're also engaged in building a product that engages with all three of those topics as well. So as they're building a press book, they do have to think about their rights and responsibilities as producers of knowledge. So that gets into things like plagiarism, uh, proper citation, uh, creative commons, remixing, reusing, intellectual property, copyright, all that stuff. So it's um, a really great way to live those questions. And I find for students engaging with those questions as a creator and actually you know, having an experiential learning um, experience there, it, it really helps them flesh out those concepts from themselves in a way that's not possible just by thinking and talking about it. I think some of the, the um, changes that we're going to see or that I'm seeing that I think are going to continue are things about agency and interaction. Um, you know, I was listening to CBC in my car the other day on one of my few trips out <laughs> and uh, the person on the radio said, do we even talk about screen time anymore? And I thought, what a compelling question, because, you know, I've long been a critic of some of the, you know, the surface ways in which we examine screen time um, and talk about it um, in, in the research. And I think that um, we are going to have a lot of different conversations about, um, you know, moving beyond, uh, you know, kind of what we describe in education as, um, you know, surface level interaction, you know, broadcast of information this way and then broadcast of information back to looking more at some of our interesting and uh, creative ways of interacting with each other and keeping track of our interactions, you know, with shared white spaces and other tools, but then also moving to the participatory engagements, um, because I think that we saw, you know, a form of triage in May and April, or sorry, March and April as, you know, as people kind of got up to speed and I think they pivoted, they pivoted beautifully and I think everyone stepped up. Um, but then they got used to it more as Verena has alluded to and, and as has Christine alluded to, you know, they're now more, you know, bringing firsthand experiences to some of these questions that they didn't bring before. Um, and I think that we're going to be able to leverage a lot of that growth in capacity of online engagement um, if we you know, think carefully and intentionally about how do we support these participatory learning environments um, and also, you know, how are we intentional about those designs. With regards to agency, something I've noticed in the first couple weeks of this semester, um, and it might be that I'm looking for it, but I really do think it's happening. Um, I used to have to really encourage students to share other resources that they'd found online in their conversations. They are very uh, independent and exercising their agency in finding all sorts of great material online. Um, I used to do a lot of that heavy lifting and say, hey, you know, there's this set of videos over here about this concept if you wanna look at this in a different way. In our very first class, the students were talking about apps you can download that'll read to you while you're walking so that you're balancing wellness with academic um, achievement. <laughs> it's like, wow, good for you, this is great. Um, so they're doing a lot more of that independent, um, you know, seeking and finding of things that will support them as a learner. I think I just wanna add that um, 
Christy is, we're still obviously not done this project by any means. We're just starting to work on the data analysis and we're developing a workshop actually. Um, Christy's leading that to, to help any instructor at the university consider using just any open educational resource, but we're using Pressbooks as, as a case study. And as a result, um, the research assistant, Nicole Newsling and, and I have ended up creating an open um, blog that I've ended up putting all my resources from my course on it anyway, because it's just easier to put it there in order to support other instructors and in figuring out how to do this and what was the thought process behind it and should they want to examine it further or not. But the other piece was if we want instructors to do this in the future, not everyone's going to have a 10 person team to come together and a SOTL grant to support it. So we, um, Nicole in particular, has spent a lot of time creating optional templates in order to scaffold the students and preparing them to get to that publication piece, because I have the experience of working on the publication piece and the editing and the and the really fine tuning took a lot, a lot of time that um, I don't think the students quite experienced because it it was done in, in different ways. Um, and so we need to, we have to take that out of the process. <laughs> so we have to figure out how do we put that back on the students to the best of our ability and what level can we get to with our students and what our expectations are. So I think that's what we will be doing going forward so that we don't want this to appear like nobody else can do it if they don't have 10 people in a full orchestra. Um, but you can do it. You always can do it, but uh, Pressbooks has resources, just like Michelle was saying, there's multiple resources out there to be able to do it. And a resource isn't necessarily a person, it's like a node. So a node can be an actual um, digital artifact or something else to support. And, and Nicole's also created videos to, to help with, with the, the transition. Then there's, that's what I'm seeing more and more of as well with the students, all these different, this is how you do something. This is how I explain something. This is how I find something. And I think that is just a natural result of what happened over the last few months as well. People know, just want to know how to find things and how to do it for themselves, knowing that they might not always have their whole team to help them out. Um, just being mindful of our time, but maybe if you want to jump in with any other input, it's been a fantastic discussion. Um, any last thoughts from the team? I would just like to thank the um, Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning for providing a grant that um, supported the development and supported our project. Um, we wouldn't have been able to accomplish this project without that support. So we really appreciate, um, you know, the university support in, in being able to conduct the research, create the press book. And then I would also like to thank um, all of the students that were part of the Leading and Learning in a Digital Age program. Again, without the students, we wouldn't have been able to, um, you know, accomplish this project and, you know, and their, their dedication and support, as I mentioned already during the course and, and beyond um, was just incredible. Um, and also like to thank our research assistants who have been part of the project. 
um, and uh, have worked with us in you know many different ways in in making this all possible. And then the amazing research team, um, who were uh, editors in and part of the the whole process as well. Um, it's really come together beautifully, and I'm just so proud of of the work that um, that everyone has accomplished. So so thank you. And if have I missed anyone in uh, in thanking anyone? Please, if if anyone else on the team has anything to add, that would be great. Well, I think it's important to also thank you, Barb, for your leadership, first of all, on program development for the four course pathway and making that learning opportunity available to graduate students, but also in your leadership in bringing together this team. Uh, you know, we work really well together and, and that's because of your inspiration and guidance. So thank you, Barb. Thank you, Michelle. I would definitely agree that the real reason this was able to happen was, yeah, it was an idea that I would have done in my class anyway, and it would have been a very different outcome. But uh, the SOTL grant and the opportunity from the from the Taylor, um, not library, sorry, the Taylor Institute, pardon me, is deeply appreciated um, because as an open learner, open advocate, you often feel alone, that you just stand there on your, on your little soapbox sharing whatever you have and all your ideas with the world. But they gave me the opportunity to work with so many other people. And that really is like a ripple effect and has spread and spread. And I think that's really important at the university because um, although as Christy mentioned, this is kind of new at our university, it is something that is a global a global endeavor, a global movement, um, and sharing is caring. Um, and the more people that we have contributing to the knowledge and, and the learning ecosystem, the better. Um, and of course, I'm gonna give a big shout out to my students because uh, I almost get teary. And of course, everyone here is used to me getting <laughs> teary because I was so proud of them for taking those risks. Um, and when COVID hit, many of them were like, it's almost like we've forgotten what maybe Alberta was kind of like before COVID, but there were a lot of job concerns, especially at the university. There were a lot of things that weren't going that well in Alberta anyway, and professionally for many of these students, and they were already dealing with so many challenges. And then they were hit with 24 hour day working and they still managed to finish this, this book and continue. But I think it was because they bought in from the beginning and they took those risks and they're real risk takers and innovators. And I'm really proud of them. And they're all across our country and around the world. And, and I think that's the future for learning. You need lots of students like that who take those risks. Um, and our job is to support them in those risks. And that's the whole co-design element and giving them those opportunities. But at the same time, you have to have the student who actually has the confidence to take the risk in the first place. So I really want to commend them for, for taking those risks. I'm super proud of all of them. And you see the, everyone's welcome to go check out EdTech Ethics on Twitter because we still have it. And you'll go back and see all the memes and excitement when the, uh, the press book came out and their pride and, and actually sharing their contributions with the world. So thank you to all of them. <laughs> yeah, and I would just like to mention um, the Open Education Alberta group. So this is the group I talked about earlier, and I'll give particular shout out to the University of Alberta Libraries, who is actually hosting the Pressbooks infrastructure for us and for the entire province. So that's been a really uh, great contribution, and I'm really grateful to uh, my colleagues around the province for their efforts in this area as well. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing this little glimpse of your work and research. Um, and uh, thanks for being our first, I guess, panel of expert voices that we've had. This episode was produced by Talon. You can find the video of the interview and more at talencloud.ca. The Talon Project is funded by the Richard Parker Initiative. It is hosted at the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape at the University of Calgary. Thank you for listening.